Hi there, I'm Greg Euland, and this is Connected. Today, I get to sit down with Brian Pash, who you may know from the multiple events he puts on every year, uh, Modern Retailing Conference coming up this fall. Uh, the, I had to check my notes, the Digital Marketing Strategies Conference uh, that's always in the spring. He's actually doing that one in Austin this year. Uh, you may have read multiple books by him or uh, engaged with the AWA Awards that he does every year. Uh, Brian Pash is all over the industry, one of the most uh, knowledgeable folks that uh, that we all get to, to consume information from, and I'm, I'm glad that he's sitting down with me. So, Brian, thanks for joining. It's great to be here. And what a great studio. Thank you. Thank you. No, I'm jealous. I'm <laughs> jealous. I wish I had three camera angles and all the lights. Just perfect. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, you, you at least sound great on your uh, on your podcast that you do pretty regularly. So. Yes, I try. I try to do the best I can for yep. sure. <laughs> no, you do a good job. Um, so, Brian, one of the things I wanted to, to start with our conversation is really just around collaboration. You've seemingly, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you've seemingly anchored a lot of what you do in collaboration, whether that's collaboration inside of the industry, even outside of the industry, getting people together, having discussions, talking. Um, you know, one of my first experiences, I think the first time I met you was actually, it's probably been 12 years ago now, maybe 13 years ago, and, and going through the AWA process. Right. And doing a remote demo and, and kind of going through all that. But even even then, um, as long ago as that feels like it was, uh, it felt very collaborative. So you've, you've kind of always brought people together. So maybe if you just want to talk a little bit about that philosophy or tell me I'm full of it and that's just my perception. Right. <laughs> no, you know, I've always been amazed on how many smart people are in automotive and oftentimes they work in silos. It's, it's, it's a mindset sometimes where people say, well, we're competitors. And I'm like, are you really competitors? And is there enough room for everyone to work collaboratively? And so I've tried to create some standards. Uh, you mentioned the, the AWA Awards. Why recognize technology companies? Because there's programmers behind the scenes that are working hard on developing products and they never get recognized. And and what about small companies that don't have a big budget and are trying to come to market, but they need some stage to launch from? So I've always looked for ways to help the small guy uh, be successful, help uh, the largest players collaborate because there's so many shared clients. And for the most part, it's been successful. Uh, you can't please everyone, mm -hmm. but it's been a heck of a ride. It's been now... Um, Let's see, hmm, 17 years Great. since I first started the business and uh – it's, it's been a wild ride, but a good one. Yeah, that's great. So go back 17 years ago. Tell me um, and everybody else, I guess, a little bit about your your background. I think we all have, uh, in some way, shape, or form, our own story of how we got into automotive. And right. then it, it seems like for everybody, once you're in, even if you wanted to, you can't get out. It's just too much fun. <laughs> that's right. So. Yeah, I fell into it. And and so many people say, you know, I was I started working at a car dealership uh, to pay for some college debt and never left, right? Yeah. Uh, so I was always a technology person, um, worked at Goldman Sachs in the trading floor tech department. I wrote some software very young. So I was always a techie. Started working for a marketing firm, uh, which was more traditional. Mm -hmm. So telemarketing, direct mail, and ran a whole IT team. But when the internet came out, I said, hold on, this is kind of, kind of challenging here. This is tech and marketing and Wow, this was very interesting. So I went to an SEO conference, believe it or not, huh. in New York. Uh, and I, I came out of that conference and I said, I just found 
like a perfect blend of my skills. So I decided to start my own company in 2005. And like anyone else, you uh, when you're selling insurance, right, you go to your friends and family and sell insurance. Well, I went to the people I did business with, doctors, lawyers, restaurants. You need a website. You need SEO, right? And I went to Circle BMW in Eatontown, New Jersey. I was buying cars for them for a number of years and said, you need microsites. You need SEO. And they're like, what's that? You know, they gave me a break. They said, okay. We'll trust you. And I started doing work. It went over great. And I realized that car dealers spent money every month on marketing. Yeah. Uh, lawyers, uh, Brian, we got enough leads. Let's pause for a few months. Restaurants, hey, we're a little tight on cash. Uh, can we pause our marketing? And and I realized, hold on, man, car dealers, they, they spend every month. Yeah. This is where I want to be. And so I just said, I'm going to go where the money is. I'm going to go where the consistency is. And I decided to be a student of automotive marketing. Well, and, and to add off that, it's not just, I mean, they spend money for a reason, right? Right. I mean, it's because there's opportunity there and there is an impact. Like you can make an impact that's in the right. automotive retailing industry um, in a lot of different ways. And that's why you mentioned earlier, small players and big players and everything in between. Um, I, I think there's so many because uh, everybody is able to, to help in, in some way, shape, or form. That's right. And and that's why I remember when I started out, there was a guy named Ralph Paglia who, and, and uh, uh, Michael Roscoe, they were running conferences. They allowed me to speak. They saw me as someone with some fresh ideas. And I've never forgot that. That's why I like to pay it forward. Uh, I try to invite people on my podcast that are doing cool things or write about new things. But this industry is made for entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, it's been changing rapidly. And to some degree, I think we're hitting a software saturation point where now we have to rethink how many people need to be involved in touching our data. So it's in a weird thing, like for the last 17 years, I would say the more the merrier. Sure. But now with privacy laws coming up and uh, new restrictions on who owns consumer data, you know, we, we may be at a position that we have to really look at the legal repercussions of having 15 small vendors in our DMS and our CRM with no data you know, management practices. So the future, it will obviously be equally as exciting for entrepreneurs. It just may look a little different. Yeah, absolutely. And, and right now, too, you know, you think about data privacy and, and everything that goes along with that um, network security and all those pieces. <laughs> uh, that's something that's it's not fun to think about. And right. usually it's not something that's front of mind for most business owners and certainly dealers. Um, it's something it's mostly reactive. Something happens to them or to one of their friends. They go to a 20 group, they hear about something and then you think about it. Uh, but in today's world, we're in a very unique situation because there's this outside force you know, with with regulations that are, are going into effect in December that are putting a little bit of a spotlight on making sure that everything's in place and buttoned up and um, nothing's at risk. Yeah. And for the dealers who are listening to today's uh, podcast, I want to encourage them that this is a very odd time where we've seen um, hacks, you know, uh, hostage, data hostage. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, we have uh, new laws, the GLB Act and, and others that are coming that have huge fines. If the dealers do not properly disclose, warehouse and maintain the 
the flow and access to consumer data. And it's been a lead free-for-all for years, really. Yeah. Uh, like Dealers typically have three different companies on their website capturing consumer data. It can be, and I've seen it up to five. Yeah. And the dealer's after December 9th, the dealer is responsible for if any of those five companies share that data in ways that weren't disclosed in advance. And so I'm hoping that it's not going to take multi-million dollar lawsuits right. for people to accelerate their data privacy and data management and think of their data as more as a first party asset. I hope it doesn't come that way, but not too many people are talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. So thinking about talking about things and getting out there, I mentioned just in the opening, you have two major conferences that right. you host each year, two major events. Um, one will be coming up in the fall. You kind of do one in the fall, one in the late spring. Is yeah, that fair? late spring. Okay. Yeah. So why don't you talk about those and whatever path you want to go down, but maybe start with the evolution of those. So events have had a up and down ride over the last right. 10 years. Uh, they've taken a lot of different shapes and a lot of different um, you know positions and purposes. Um, so for you, when you think about putting together an event. Um, you know, we all went through the time where we couldn't get back together. So now everybody's <laughs> in person. Um, what's, I guess, how did, how did you start and where have you gotten to and what's that ride been like? Yeah, I, uh, it's been a, a crazy ride, a lot of education. You know, we've done small events and regional events and themed events. And what we found is it's hard to get dealers to come out to an event. Sure. <laughs> it's Everybody's really, busy. I mean, we work in retail. That's right. It's super hard. So if you don't have a quality reason, don't expect people to come out. Now, we've avoided in the last number of years to do events in Vegas because there's way too many events in Vegas. And I think there's too many distractions. But it is a favorite destination, right? So maybe we lean a little bit harder towards the educational aspect and not so much the party or social aspect. So we're looking, if I'm going to ask a dealer principal to come to an event, if I'm going to ask them to invest in sending their people, I want them to feel that they're going to come back with actionable data. So our conferences are definitely um, educationally focused and we're, we're comfortable with blowing them up. So over the years, um, we've had the automotive marketing boot camp, and we did the automotive engagement conference. And this November, uh, the modern retailing conference is the new theme for what was called the Automotive Analytics and Attribution Summit, which okay, was. Can I just, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I, can I tell you, I'm glad you changed the name because yes. that one, you know, even the the uh, acronym, I was just like. Wait. A A A I I couldn't get over, I couldn't get over the the hump on that one. It was no, hard to, no, hard to I, say, and I just you know, and I'm to taking total responsibility <laughs> for that. It was me. You know, this was when dealers weren't taking their analytics properly and seriously. So uh, it it served a function, but you know, with COVID. Mm -hmm we accelerated the change in the sales process. And so we, we talked about digital retailing, digital retailing, but digital retailing was the first, I would say, vision. Uh, today, we need to be focusing on connected retailing. And uh, so the idea of a modern retailing conference theme is what's new, what does a new sales process look like? What does a new marketing strategy look like? What does a new hiring strategy look like? And so we we blew up the triple AS, yep. uh, and for good reasons, on the acronym. Uh, and why? Because there's no sense in doing something if it's not providing value. And we're not doing it 
just to make money. Right. Of course, we make money. It's a lot of work. But um, if the dealers aren't getting value, we'll stop it in a heartbeat because uh, I don't want to ever host a conference where people are walking around and saying, I didn't learn anything. I didn't get anything. Out. That's like kryptonite to me. It's like attacks me right <laughs> in the center core. So I'm always asking people, what can we do better? What can we do better? And uh, last year, it was like, we need to include more themes on the major changes in retail. Yeah, no, that's good. And, and you mentioned, you know, Modern Retailing Conference is the name of it, MRC. Um, you mentioned Connected Retail. There's a lot of words out there. We, you know, and I think, I want you to define this for me a little bit, but I think it's it's similar to what we call uh, internally and, and externally uh, being able to retail anywhere. That's right. Um, so I think it's a lot of the same philosophies, but in your words, what when you say Modern Retailing or Connected Retailing, what do you mean? What, what's important about that? Sure. So people have put digital retailing tools on their website, but for the most part, they have not uh, used the same tools inside the showroom. So as nice as a digital retailing tool could be online, when the consumer walked in, typically they were shown an antiquated desking system or a different visual tool or, or, a, piece of paper. Yeah, or a piece of paper, right? <laughs> and so uh, the trust breaks down. So Knowing that we are not at a point to transact completely online because the consumers don't want that. they Nine out of ten consumers still want to come in, touch, feel the car, and, and get advice. Um, we at least should be making sure that whatever we present online, the look and feel, the numbers, the accuracy, is the same tools we use in the showroom. And I think that connected experience builds trust, um, uh, accelerates the transaction, and allows the time to be focus on the things that are really important, like finding the right vehicle for the consumer and not, you know, uh, jumping around the hoops with numbers. So I think a modern retailing uh, process is consistent. It's transparent uh, and it values the consumer's time. And what we were, we started with was tools to expose on the website was what was once only available in the, in the showroom or in the F&I office. That was phase one, digital retail. And I'm going to bring out to the outside world the stuff that we kept secret, which was the payments, basically, right? I think connected retailing is out. Okay, now that that didn't blow up our business because some dealers thought that's the end of the world, we, we don't talk about payments outside the four walls of the dealership. Now it's, let's make sure it's the same experience. And then the future which would be, as you mentioned, retailing uh, anywhere, is the idea uh, of a single source of truth, a single sales process that can be executed on mobile, it can be ex executed on tablet, desktop, at work, in, to the degree that the dealer and the consumer are comfortable, where that including would be electronic signatures and e-contracting, right? I mean, that would be, the anywhere piece would mean, yeah, nine out of 10 might like it today, but in the future, will more and more people feel comfortable of just signing and delivering? Right. Okay. When all of that happens, then it's not only a, a connected retail experience, but it can be done anywhere. Yep. Absolutely. And, and I would layer into that too. I mean, I think you're spot on, but I would layer in, 
we, we talk a lot about, um, and we all do, the consumer experience, right? And enabling that consumer interaction. But that's only half of the equation. <laughs> right. And the other half is the person that's in the store or, you know, that, frankly, they could probably be anywhere too. Uh, but the dealership employee and making that process easy and seamless for them. Uh, did you ever work retail growing up? or I, is it? I did, but not yeah. in automotive. Sure. Yeah. So, so I grew up in a parts store, auto parts store. Um, worked retail, worked, and then I worked at uh, Target too in, in college. So I had a decent amount and then coming out of, coming out of college, did retail, um, actually started a, a parts company, long, long story, but uh, worked retail a pretty decent amount of uh, time. And I can tell you just in that experience, and I'm sure you've had the same experience, it can be really stressful as somebody that's trying to deliver a good customer experience, trying to deliver a good guest experience. Uh, but you got two people on hold on the phone, you got three people standing in front of you. And for me at that time, trying to look up parts in a catalog, like <laughs> right, an actual right, physical right, catalog, right. you know, finding the right part. Um, there's just a lot of a lot of stress on you too. So it's really difficult to provide a great experience. So uh, I think as important as the, the customer experience is the dealership employee experience and making that seamless for, for both sides of the equation. Right. And, and I think even the movements in the industry to uh, uh, offer consumers a single point of contact, yeah. okay, is along the lines with, hey, if the tools are really consistent and what's what the consumer saw online is the same that the sales associate is presenting. If it's a guided tour, if it has some workflow logic, if it has some bumpers that the the sales associate can't go off the rails on, uh, isn't this a better experience for then both the consumer and the sales associate? And we're finding it is. Yeah. And so even though there's not one modern sales process, it is very different than the traditional sales process. And that's what we're going to highlight in November at the Modern Retailing Conference. What does a modern retailing process look like if you're a single point or if you're a traditional, you know, F&I manager? But what's different about it that is worthy of saying this is a modern refresh on something that has worked but no longer is relevant to consumers? Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Um, all right, so let's shift gears a little bit. There's something else I wanted to, to chat with you about. So you've always been somebody, I think, uh, that, that finds opportunities to bring people together and talk about things in new ways. Um, sure. So, so one of those things that you've done recently and kind of spearheaded uh, is you recognize that uh, Google has changed their analytics platform, right? And they're moving from Google Analytics Universal to Google Analytics 4, uh, their most recent version. And you said, you know... <laughs> I think we could all agree over the last 20 years, we have royally messed up analytics and attribution <laughs> and in the automotive right. industry. We have. So we're, we have an opportunity right now to standardize a lot of these pieces. Um, so talk a little bit about the GA4 Council. Uh, you know, it's something that you, you started. You invited people from all over the place to join. Uh, so talk about the genesis of that a little bit. Sure. Um, there are... Um times, unique times in history where when people got together, some amazing results happen. And we're in this time where Google has given us a heads up that sometime in 2023, and uh, the original date was July. It may be pushed back because most Google dates are always pushed back. <laughs> but uh, the idea was every company implemented universal analytics differently. Some didn't even support it. And over the years, I've begged uh, companies to support at least some basic transparency of consumer click events and analytics so we could 
create better marketing audiences and marketing outcomes. Now, a whole new framework is being introduced. So I said, you know, uh, companies spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in supporting analytics. They don't even make analytics, right? They're, you know, website companies are, are really the worst disadvantage because they're expected to support this, although they don't charge for it, right. you know. Right. It's not their product. Right. <laughs> you know, please support someone else's product that changes <laughs> all the time. So I said, wouldn't it be cool if we all agreed as an industry, the website companies, the digital retailing companies, communication, messaging, merchandising, photography, whatever, um, couldn't we all agree on, hey, let's name the click events or swipe events the same thing. So if somebody moves from uh, a dealer.com website to a Naked Line website or they move from um, a basic chat to a Gabagoo VR, that the event names are the same. So if somebody submits a lead or if someone submits a chat lead or a text lead or if someone you know, calculates a payment, that those names in GA4 could be the same. Now, a lot of people thought it couldn't do it. So I just believe that this was the time. Today, we have over 80 companies who have joined the council who have committed to support this. So uh, we have, oh, let's see, probably about 35 to 40 event names great. that we have defined as critical to optimize marketing, to give dealers transparency. And uh, we will release the spec in November at the Modern Retailing Conference. And then uh, these companies will be rolling out this specification in this year. The goal is that at the start of 2023, um, dealers would have and dealer groups would have consistent events across all their vendors. And this will allow for the first time more fair comparisons on performance, better roll-up reporting, better dealer group reporting, and most of all, um, a lot less support from everyone who's trying to chase people to do something in analytics. And we're just going to be able to say, just support the spec. Mm-hmm. Here's the published spec. And dealers, for the first time, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, that they're going to say to their vendors, hey, if you want to do business with our group, your chat, your VR, your website, your whatever platform has to support the spec. If if we all work together, aside from the initial few months of uh, development work that needs to be done, everyone's going to be better off. Yeah. So go down that path a little bit further, even thinking about not just tracking, right, but attribution. So attribution is something that who knows if we'll ever figure it out completely, right? There's so many cooks in the kitchen. It's, it's just not an easy thing to to handle, right? right. There's different ways to do it. Um, you know, you have multi-touch and you have this and you have that. And there, there's all these different methods. Um, how do you see this impacting attribution and attribution modeling, um, at least in our industry going forward? Yeah. So, um, we never defined what a conversion was and we never defined what a conversion outcome was. And, uh, last year I published uh, a really groundbreaking report about Google ads and how we got it wrong. And, and what, what did we get wrong? We were saying, click the call. If that was a click the call, that was a sales call. Like, well, that kind of, made sense until you said, well, how do you know? Did you listen to the calls? And so we listened to a million calls and we found out, well, uh, less than 15% of Google ads calls are for sales. Um, 
today, we have agencies saying, we got AI, we have machine learning, we have smart bidding. And I'm like, okay, makes sense. What are you feeding those engines to get more of? And they're like, oh, we're feeding click to call. We're feeding connect to call. And I'm like, but what department was that call for? Oh, we don't know. Well, the new specification, um, when a chat lead is sent in the CRM from Gubagoo, um, Gubagoo knows it's part service or sales. That's going to be pushed into GA now. If it's a text lead, same thing, Gubagoo, sales, service, parts, sure. push in. Now, here's the thing, phone calls. You have call bright and there's other call tracking companies and, and telephony platforms. They know if the call was connected. They know how long the call was. And now using AI machine learning, they can listen to the voice transcript and determine which department or listen to the IVR key press. This in the new spec is all going to be brought into GA4. So now I can say, hey, is my sales campaign generating sales opportunities or service? Oh, man, these keywords... They're ringing the phone for service. Let's take them out of the sales campaign, right? Sure. Uh, so what we're going to get is cleaner feedback loops to optimize ad campaigns, number one. Mm -hmm. Then number two, GA4 does a great cross-device analysis and uh, audiences overlap. So you could say, hey, the traffic that's coming from cars.com compared to my regular organic traffic Hey, here's the overlap, and here's where Cars.com is bringing truly unique shoppers. Yeah. And how good are those shoppers? Well, instead of just saying they converted, like, you could say, no, what was the value of those conversions? We never had that before because we just said they submitted a lead. Well, what kind of lead was it? Was it a check availability lead or a trade-in app? Right. Two different qualities. Did they hit click the call or did they actually speak to someone? Two different qualities. So when we think about um, a very intent shopper, they're probably more willing to handle a bad phone tree if they really want to buy as compared to someone who's kind of casual, right? If cars.com, for example, generated really intense shoppers, sure. I, I bet you're going to see more connected calls because they waited through the phone tree. They really were intense. We don't have any of that data now. So for the first time, we're going to have better feedback loops, Ed technology will optimize intended outcomes better. And with better outcomes, we can undetermine the value of the investments we're making to say, hey, uh, these traffic sources bringing most engaged shoppers because they use the Goobagoo VR tool and they're working their deals more than any other source. Mm -hmm. I want more of that traffic. So it's not just about leads. It's going to be which is the most engaged traffic sources? How many of those people come back? What are their outcomes? And with the new specification, advanced dealers, people who care about their data, will have, have the data they need to make better marketing decisions. Yeah, that's great. So when you say, you know, you're talking about dealers and making better marketing decisions, um, do you, I don't know, do, do you see that when you, when you reference that? Do you see those as folks that have their own internal marketing group um, that, that really manage all of that and they're building out, you know, strategies and, and even marketing journeys and, and maybe they're using an automated platform, maybe they're not, but, but finding ways to engage and pull people down a funnel. Um, do, so uh, get, getting back to the actual question, do, do you see 
the audience for that type of, or the appetite for that type of behavior in a, a group with a dedicated person or set of people to do that? Or do you see it at, at a group where maybe they're using an outside agency or, or both? I, I don't know, I'm mm. curious. Well, surely the, the larger dealer groups have internal marketing teams because part of the problem of sloppy data is you don't know how to validate the claims of outsource marketers. So you mean when everybody says that they sold that car? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but even, let's just say, even if they didn't say, I'd say, oh, we have the most advanced tech, we have AI, we got machine learning, and we got this proprietary this and this. Per okay. It's really hard for dealers to understand that, surely, especially if the dealer principal uh, isn't uh, of that marketing tech generation. Mm -hmm. So I think the future is going to look something like this. The outside of automotive, multi-million dollar companies and billion dollar companies, some of these groups are, are building customer data platforms or customer data engagement platforms where they're... Uh, making sure they have a single source of truth for their customer data and all the interactions. For car dealers today, it's really hard yeah. because they have too many cooks in the kitchen. They have five or six or seven vendors on their website, and then they have a separate email marketing company for service and a separate email marketing for sales. Then they have a separate text messaging company and a direct, you know, okay. Yeah. So the, the future, I think it's going to be, uh, the automotive industry is going to look to tech providers who can uh, create and maintain and securely store their customer data in a way that larger dealer groups might uh, leverage for their own digital marketing platform uh, execution, or others are going to look for companies who can do it for them. But I think the days of having 12 companies in and accessing customer data with disconnected marketing messages, we've, we've had this problem for years. Right. But what's going to change? I think it's the new privacy laws. I think when dealers realize that they sent their gave their DMS access to this e two email companies and two direct mail companies and this, 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 this. And then they start getting lawsuits because when someone filled out the form, the dealer didn't disclose, well, these 10 companies are going to get a copy of your data. Well, then it's going to, you know, money mm -hmm. is going to move to what the bigger dealer groups already know. I got to own my data, I have to have a single source of truth, and I need to leverage that single source of truth to power personalized marketing. How we get there and how fast we get there, I don't know. Right. But the larger dealer groups are working on these projects. They're called CDP projects or CDXP for uh, experience platforms. But that is uh, the future. And, you know, in my viewpoint, uh, Reynolds and Reynolds uh, is going to be a key player in that space only because of all the touch points that you can see and the data security that you already have in place, right? So I think we're going to move in the future to try to lock down our data a little bit more, not from using it, but from making sure we don't get lawsuits yeah. because we are sloppy with it. Well, and, and if you want a, I'll say terrifying experiment, create a, create a Gmail address, just some generic one that you don't give to anybody, fill out a form on your website and see how many emails you start getting and who they're from. Right. Um, that, 
That is really enlightening. Um, you know, when after three weeks, <clears throat> you're getting emails from companies that you have no interaction with, and it wouldn't even necessarily make sense for you to be getting an email from. Um, there's only one place that you entered that email address. Right. So try that and just see what happens. You know, we have um, we have a, a platform available to our dealers. We call it Interface Dashboard, and, and they can log in and see exactly where every anybody that's ac- accessing data that they've uh, approved to, to send data to, they can see you know what's going there and and how often and and who it's going to. So there's tools that are in place today for people to check these things out, but. You know, if you just want a quick, uh, it's not fun. It's the word that keeps coming to my head, but a, right. a terrifying experiment. Create, yeah. a, create a fake email address, put it in and see what happens. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I occasionally put my email address in LinkedIn, you know, and, and just in an article contact me. Oh, man, the scrapers, go, <laughs> they go crazy, you know. OK, uh, that's the deliberate, you know, you put out in the public, you get what you get. But I, I think that um, what dealers are going to need to realize if we look at the future, and this is where more collaboration has to come in. We need as an industry to understand that outside of automotive, CDPs are how multi-million dollar and billion dollar corporations value their customers and increase the lifetime value. And somehow, some way, the auto industry has to wake up and say, spray and pray, spray and overlap, double mail or send outdated messages to people um, isn't smart. And maybe it's because we had unlimited cars to sell and we were always selling cars and always profitable. But with the changes in the future, I think the local dealership ownership of the customers can become even more important. And anything they can do to protect that customer uh, relationship and to enhance the customer relationship instead of maybe watering it down. I think it's important. Yeah. So, okay, just go, sorry, a little bit deeper on that. You said yeah. something that just kind of perked my ears stick yeah. up a little bit. So the, the dealership, the local ownership of that customer is going to become more important and that relationship between the dealership and the customer is going to become more important. Can you just go down that path a little bit further? What do you, what do you mean by, talk, by that? Talk a little bit more. You know, I wrote an open letter, Jim Farley at Ford, and I'm not calling Ford out uh, directly. I mean, GM has said some similar things that, their, their belief is that consumers want to go direct. And even though nine out of 10 consumers want to go in the dealership and buy their car, somehow they believe in the very short future that EV customers are different and they're going to just want to buy online. Um, we see at least rhetoric that the franchise dealer model may change and maybe change significantly. There's others who say, no, it's not. But history has shown that the OEMs have the upper hand. And um, so if I'm a dealer and I've invested millions of dollars in the community and millions of dollars in my brand and consumers are going to be encouraged to go to a national website, not my own, to order a car and, and it's going to get delivered to me. I miss a lot of interaction. I I miss potential upsells and cross-sells and accessories and other things potentially, uh, or moving them into a vehicle that's better for them that they don't even know. Right. 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 Every time you ask a dealer, what percentage of customers bought the vehicle they came in to buy? And it depends on who you talk to, but a lot of them say, I don't know, 50, 50% of the time. So so it's not as precise as some of the OEMs want to do. And 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 I'm saying that 
if I really feel that my local dealer is valuing my personal information, contact me only when it's relevant and those messages of value, then when I'm in the market shopping for a car, I'm not going to look at them as, hey, the person I transacted with four years ago, I never heard from. I'm going to see them as, hey, they're my mobility partner. They're my partner. And and that is not what most dealers have done. They're like, I got this OEM program that sends out emails for service reminders. I have an equity mining tool that sends out equity mining. And then my CRM team will just badger the hell out of people, you know, and, (laughs) and right. And at some point they've been doing this is because they're like, I don't really care if the customer gets pissed, Uh, the more is better. And I think that if the dealer is no longer the only single source where someone could buy, is it possible in more densely populated metro markets, when the person goes to the national site, even though they bought from you, Mr. Dealer or Ms. Dealer, um, they pick someone else on the drop-down box because maybe down the road is another dealer five miles down. They have no brand loyalty at that point. So I think that if the agency model could come to bear for EVs, if the future is EVs, um, the future future, then we better be taking our customers a little more seriously. That means uh, owning the data, securing the data, and finding the right cadence for communication is it's going to be part of almost the competitive edge that dealers have. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I would add to that, you know, I think you're spot on. I would add to it that... You know, over history, you look back over time, one of the things that I admire about the dealers, the owners and and the operators in this industry is their ability to find ways to add value. Right. right? Just you look back over the last even just 30 years, but you go back as far as you want, constantly finding ways to add value to both the consumer and to the manufacturer. So finding that that space, wherever it is in today's world and wherever it's going to be in tomorrow's world, that the dealer can create value and, and really be the go-to. And that's the point you're making too, is, is be valuable to that interaction in whatever way you can. And if you do that, the, the profit will come and the customers will come, but you have to be valuable. And, and that's something that we all have to be on the lookout for, certainly. But I do have a lot of faith in the dealer body uh, and the entrepreneurial spirit that, that lives in that dealer body. That's right. To, to find those opportunities to, to create value and to have an impact. So um, it's a fun challenge. And it's one that, uh, you know, I, I certainly think about we, we think about here. Uh, but I think it's spot on for sure. Yeah. And you're right about the entrepreneurial vision. I already have dealers t- talking to me that. They're uh, partnering with local electricians. They're reaching out to their customers to install charging stations in their homes, right, as a service. Hey, you want to buy a Cadillac Lyric? Great. Um, Here is the charging uh, station, and we have uh, an install team literally taking that whole value chain. They make some money on the installation. They make smart, right? Just smart things. I know that uh, uh, people who have a Tesla, for example, um, if they go to a charge point station, they need a special adapter. Well, a friend of mine needed to get charged. And I said, do you have the adapter? And he says, there's an adapter? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, there's an adapter. And he's a Tesla lover, right? Right. I ordered on Amazon the next day, shipped it to his house. I said, keep this in your glove box. Okay. 
these are all value add things as people are thinking, you know, what the future value local dealers can be. Um, we're seeing dealers uh, working in the community to, to help plan charging stations. And maybe if they have extra property, even bringing those onto lots of cool ways, dealers will figure it out. But I think they have to embrace the fact that uh, the government is more and more concerned with data leaks and consumer data privacy out on the Internet and everywhere. And since we are a consumer of um, data Mm -hmm. and uh, there is a difference between a consumer and a customer. And uh, these laws are trying to protect consumers more than customers. I think dealers do a pretty good job of protecting customer data. These new laws are more about consumer data who haven't bought from you yet. Yep. And we're real sloppy at that. So we have to fix that right away. Yeah. Especially if it's somebody who filled out a credit app. And so you have all their information in some way, shape or form. Hopefully it's encrypted and it should be. But I mean, they put in a whole bunch of personally identifiable information um, into that credit app and it came through your system in one way, shape or form uh, in most cases. So you got to make sure you're clean. That's right. You know, it, it's it's intimidating and it's a little yep. scary. December 9th is coming up quickly. <laughs> um, and uh, we as an industry I probably need to do a better job of educating dealers on how to prepare. Yep, absolutely. Well, Brian, I could obviously talk to you for, for hours, uh, you know, but I want to be respectful of your time. Um, anything we haven't touched on that uh, you want to dive into? Anything we haven't talked about that we should? No, I think we are at a precipice of, of moving from a digital retailing to connected retailing. I want dealers to be focusing on um, not how many cars they sold completely through digital retailing tools. I think that's the wrong metric. Um, it should be how many consumer experiences could be described as completely consistent, both visually and numerically, and that the whole process um, was done at a pace and a cadence that the consumer wanted. If we can move to that, a connected retailing experience, I'd be really happy that 2023 will be continually uh, exciting and profitable for dealers. 100% agree. All right. Well, Brian Pash, thank you so much for uh, joining today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for inviting me. All right. Thanks so much for joining the conversation today. Before we hop off, don't forget you can watch or listen to episodes of Connected on YouTube, Apple, or Spotify podcasts. And make sure to subscribe so you're notified every other Wednesday when new episodes are released. We'll see you in two weeks.